0: Anybody know where we're getting into tonight? I still want, knew I wanted to do something in the area of a book study. And uh, before we did Esther, there was a couple of books I was looking at, us doing, and didn't have the go-ahead on it. And so uh, that's why we went into Esther. And so everybody enjoyed Esther, so I guess that's why we went over there, have a, have a book that was a little bit of fun. So now we're going to go back over to the New Testament. And we're going to look at a book that we have not looked at in its entirety. We have always looked at it in part. But we have not looked at it in its entirety for about 14 years. But we're in it all, a lot. And um, we're just going to take a look at it now from the the whole perspective of it. It is one of the epistles. And it is one of the ones that Paul wrote. And so uh, I'll let Ray hand out our outlines because we're going to begin a study for the next number of weeks in the book of Ephesians. Now, Ephesians deals a lot with things uh, that's been called a a book for the mature. And he certainly is writing to one of the most mature churches in the area. He spends the first three chapters talking about doctrine, about who Christ is and who we are in Him. And then he spends the final three chapters talking about how that affects our life. And so the book is is, uh, basically divided up into two parts that way. Of course, we start in the beginning over here in, in this one. The book of Ephesians was, uh, Paul's letters are basically divided up into four groups of when he wrote them. The first missionary trip, second missionary trip, and uh, the first imprisonment and second imprisonment and things of that nature. The second imprisonment is when he, he was there and he was going to die. And, uh, of course, he wrote to Timothy and Titus in the... Uh, first group of letters he wrote, he wrote to uh, the Thessalonians. And he was talking to them about eschatology and end-time events. And then he, in the, in the second group that he was writing, he was writing to the Corinthians and some others that were in there as well. But here in, in this third grouping, we find the, the Ephesians are written too. I have heard it said about this book that it was never addressed to the Ephesians that the book is actually written to the saints and faithful in Christ. But it started its circulation in Ephesus. That's just one of those things that I've heard through the the time. Perhaps it's true. Perhaps it's not. But anyway, it has the name of the book of Ephesians. Ephesus is located in uh, the province of Asia, Asia Minor, which is now Turkey. Just want to put into a modern-day area where this, this is at. It was a very prosperous, very large town, very significant city in the world back then. It was a commercial port city. I'm told that the port area is uh, kind of messed up now, but it was at one point a, a big one. It's uh, midway between Miletus to the south and Smyrna to the north. I'm sure that just helps you all put it right there. It contained a theater that was one of the largest known of all that have remained to modern times. The auditorium was a semicircle that measured 490 feet in diameter with 63 rows of seats that provided seating for an audience of 24,500. It was in this theater that the silversmiths led by Demetrius rioted against the Christian's missions work of, of Paul and his companions. Now, adding to the attraction of Ephesus was the temple of the Greek goddess. Many of you uh, know this one. Artemis, but in the Latin, she's called Diana. I knew you would know that one. (laughs) The temple was one of the seven wonders of the world. It was a magnificent work, they say. Four times the size of the Greek Parthenon. The temple stood on a platform 425 feet long, 239 feet wide. The platform had 10 steps all so it led up to its pavement. The temple itself was 342 and a half feet long by 164 feet. The temple consisted of two rows of eight columns, each in the front and rear and two rows of 20 columns, each on both sides of its sanctuary. In all the temple... In, in all, the temple contained 100 columns. Each column was a monolith of marble 55 feet high. The 18 columns at each end were sculptured. The temple roof was covered with large white marble tiles. The Goths destroyed the temple in 260 AD. Ephesus was also home to a large number of Jews They had a synagogue in the city, which Paul had uh, actually taught from. When some of the Jews had hardened their hearts against the gospel of Jesus, he began to, uh, uh, Paul turned to the Gentiles, and from Ephesus the gospel spread throughout the whole province of Asia. In 50, in 52 AD is when Paul wrote the first epistles. They were to, as we said, the Thessalonians. They uh, were mostly focusing on the return of Jesus. These, these particular ones were during his third missionary journey, 55-56. I'm sorry, in, in, that, in that missionary journey, he wrote to the Corinth, uh, Corinthians, Galatians, Romans. In 60-62, during Paul's first Roman imprisonment, he wrote Colossians, Philemon, Philippians, and Ephesians. Basically, these pick up where the book of book of Acts left off over in Ephesians and the first chapter we'll begin to read read there we're not going to get we're going to get to get further than we're going to get tonight, and that'll make sense to you as we get on through we're going to get further than we are going to get tonight, and you'll see why, what I mean in that in a minute because we're going to look at some of the things that Paul actually tried to do in this and then come back to it. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now he identifies himself here as Paul the apostle. We've covered this before, but just so you all are are clear with it and understand, Paul was an apostle. He was an apostle of Jesus Christ. There have been many apostles since Paul. Paul was not the first apostle. Paul was not the last apostle. He was a great apostle. But sometimes the people get confused because uh, there have been many people, even when I was looking for some of the history of some of the book of, uh, of Ephesus, I found some people who still taught that Paul was the 12th disciple or apostle under Jesus and that they missed it by selecting Miletus. And uh, Paul was not the 12th apostle because what they were looking for was one who could testify the works of Jesus. And Paul did not follow Jesus at the time of his... Uh, ministry here on earth, or after he left, and it took quite a while before Paul came around. So Paul did not qualify to be in that that state, but Paul was still an apostle, and just as God has called other people to be apostles since Paul, uh, apart from the 12, Paul just fits into that area of ministry. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 8, tells us, When he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Jump on down to verse 11. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So Paul is writing this letter as an apostle. Paul can write this letter as an apostle to the church in Ephesus or to whatever church it was distributed to because Paul started those ministries. Paul had apostolic authority over these churches because Paul was the apostle, the sent one, into those churches who started the ministry. Brother Hagan used to always tell us about some of those bozos who go wandering around and they would show up in somebody's church and they say, "I'm an apostle." Well, that's all great and good. Well, because I'm an apostle and you're only a pastor, you have to listen to me. You have to submit yourself to me. <laughs> well, that's yeah, just that's not how it works. There's not a ranking in that all apostles outright rank all pastors and so forth. There is a... Uh, there's, that apostle needs to put something into that ministry before he has authority over it. And that's what he he does here. And the same thing is, is true today. You know, people don't just walk in as apostles and prophets and exercise authority. There is a sowing in that must go, go on first. We spent some time. We can go over to Corinthians. We can look at how Paul uh, regarded other apostles and other people in, uh, high up in the ministry. But understand, they didn't sow anything in his ministry. They didn't sow anything in that Paul. They didn't help develop Paul. And so he didn't really see any uh, real connection that was there. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 28, And God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. After that, miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, administration, varieties of tongues. And so there we Paul actually puts them into a ranking. That's how we come up with the apostles over the prophets and prophets over the teachers and so forth on there. But this letter, as it says, is to the saints, all the saints and faithful. It is to all the saints and faithful. Understand this all Christians are saints, not certain ones. There are not certain ones that are made to be saints, all are saints. So, all are saints, but not all are faithful. He writes this to the saints and faithful. There are some who are saints because they're born again. But there are others who have gone beyond that and have become faithful. And so they are saints and faithful in Him, but some are just saints. But he's writing this letter to the, all the saints and even to those that are a smaller group, but those that are faithful. So he wants all to understand this. But he's made a distinction between these two groups, the saints and those that are saints and faithful. Because obviously you can't be a faithful believer without being a saint. All are saints, not all are faithful. He then goes over to verse 2. Let's read that one. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. Misunderstanding, well, let's, let's get into this part of it first. Grace to you in peace. Uh, my pastor down in, in Tulsa, Pastor Bob, used to talk about grace and would uh, use verses like this in in teaching us that, I thought I had to actually put in your, your outline, but it looks like I did not, that if we don't understand grace, then peace will never be a part of our life. That grace comes before the Peace. And all in all of Paul's epistles, grace always does come before peace. Grace and peace. Never says peace and grace. Always says grace and peace. And we, of course you know sometimes he adds a mercy in on there too. But that's just for pastors. I'm serious. Go back there and take a look at it. When he writes to the pastors, grace, mercy, and peace. <laughs> We've talked about that before. When he writes to saints, it's grace and peace. I guess they don't need mercy. But grace And peace. We've got to have an understanding of what grace is. Misunderstanding what comes to us by grace or by works will cause us to be in a state that lacks peace. And this is why some people are not at peace in their Christian walk. Because they have not understood the difference between what is grace and what is works. If you work for what is grace, you will always be in unrest. If you treat as grace what is found by works, you'll never be satisfied. There is grace and there is works. And for those things for which you obtain through works and you sit back and try and obtain it through grace, it will never come to you. It will never get there. And there are some things we obtain through works. Real easy for you to prove. Word of God says, if you do I will... What's that? How do you get that then? Is that grace? That's works. Works. Mm -hmm. That's works. If you do this, what's that? It's a work. work. If you do this work, I will do this. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's just like your paycheck is a paycheck of works. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if a relative sends you a Christmas card with some money in it, Mm -hmm. that was grace. (laughs) Grace and works. You cannot obtain... By works what is by grace. And you cannot obtain by grace what is by works. If you don't understand the two, then you'll be in a bad bad way. Make sure you understand, is this by grace or is this by works? And it's really easy to tell if God has already done something for us. If this has been provided for us, then it's by grace. grace. If God says, if you do this, then I will, then it's by grace. That's all you got to do. It's not hard to figure it out. Just go to the Word of God. I need this. What do I got to do? All right, that's a work thing because i got to do this. So I'll do this and God will do that. <laughs> that's all there is to it. But if it says in there that it's, it's by, it teaches us it's by grace because he's already done it for us, already provided for us, boy, don't be found working for it. Don't be trying to earn it. Here's a, here's a case of, of um, forgiveness of sins in the past. I'm not talking about forgiveness of sins now. If I sin, we go and we confess our sins before the Father, and he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So that is a bit of a works thing because I had to do something. All right? But we were guilty of a whole lot of sin before we got born again, and God forgave it all, didn't he? Did we go through and do anything to work for that? Nope, he just did it. So it's by the righteousness that we have. Is that by works or by grace? It's by grace. We've been declared to be it. I can't work for righteousness, yet many Christians are out there trying to earn righteousness. Well, if I do this, then God will see me as righteous. No, you can't do that. And that's why they're not in a state of peace. If you just rest in the grace of God for those things He has provided for you, you'll be peaceful. And if you understand that the, what works are needed in order to get the things that are by works, you'll be at rest too. Because it's a simple thing. If you do this, I'll do that. I don't got to beg them. I don't got to convince them to do it. He just says, if you do this, if you obey me, if you believe, don't doubt in your heart, I'll do this. So there are some things that are by works, by faith. And there's some things that are by grace. Make sure you have an understanding of which is which. And don't mix, mix them up and confuse the two. I put this in, in here. Kind of meditate on this for a little while to get it right. I was thinking there was a third thing, but then I figured out no, it just belongs to the part of this. So I just put it in here as two: grace, acts of provision, acts of provision for God's glorification. Things that are given to us by grace are provided for us by God for His glorification. He gets glory out of us being in righteousness, doesn't He? Mm -hmm. He gets glory out of that. That's grace. Anything that's by grace, it's for His glorification. Make sure you never, ever try and glory in the things that God has given us by grace. They're all His His glory. I don't ever go out there and say, well, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ and you're not. (laughs) No, everything that we do is for the glory of God. It should point to God for glory. Grace are acts of provision for God's glorification. They're activated when we come into the understanding of the grace or the truth. Just because these things are out there and just because they're by grace doesn't mean that it happens. We have to pursue it. Until you come into the knowledge that Jesus Christ saved us from our sin, that grace isn't available to you, is it? It's there, but I can't take advantage of it. Until I come into the knowledge of what righteousness means for me, I don't take advantage of that. But I seek... I go after His Word. I study His Word to find out what is it about this righteousness? What does this open up for me? And then I walk into that. Acts of provision for God's glorification. They are activated when we come into an understanding of the grace or the truth that we need. There are certain grace and certain truths that are taught in the Word of God and we need to pursue them. We need to understand them. We need to find out what is that about? What is going on with that? How does that affect my life? Oh, because God did this, that means this has been provided for me. And we're going to see some things in this section that have been provided for us. So grace, acts of provision for God's glorification, works are acts of faith and obedience, uh, actions of faith and obedience leading to promotion. Actions of faith and obedience leading to promotion. God promotes. But his promotions are given to those who have been faithful and obedient. To those who believe him, not those who doubt him. Actions of faith and obedience leading to promotion. Because God says, Alright, you're ready to go move on to the next next thing I have for you. Because God has called us into an ordered pattern. This is where I want you to go, this is what ministry I want you to f- be, to fulfill. And even uh, Paul God says, I'm going to show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. God had a call on the life of Paul. And it was to become an apostle. And in that becoming an apostle, he was going to go through a lot of hard things, and a lot of tough situations. God called him to that. But he was not walking in a way that he could be promoted into that. And once he got saved, then God sent him away to, to study and to learn. And then even uh, gave him a vision of heaven and called him on up there. And Paul said, whether well, in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows, he says. But that's when God began to instruct him into the, the mystery of the church. And he came down and taught it to people and let people know, this is the church age. We're in the church age. There's a rapture of this church age. Here's, a, here's what the Old Testament said about it. We just didn't see it. It was, all, it was there for us all the time. We just didn't see it. Now we can see it. It was the mystery. What was revealed? Works are actions of faith and obedience leading to promotion. They are activated by doing or believing what God commands. Whatever God command, I either do it or I believe it. And when I do that and I stay on that course, there's a promotion waiting out there for me. It's a it's an area that God had directed me, that God wanted me to move into all the time. But until I'm ready, He can't move me into it. So these are the things we we need. So understand what's by grace and what's by works. These are things that we need to do. Now we're going to move on here to the next section, but we're going to read a whole lot of Scripture. And there's a reason for that. It's simply this. This is all one sentence. It's not one sentence in the English, but in the Greek, it's all one sentence. Paul just rambled on here for a little while and just forgot to put a period in. So we're just going to cover it all and and read it all. Understand when you see a period and you see a comma in your Bible, that's not there by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Because when they uh, wrote this, all punctuation was removed. But just to say paper. And then the punctuation is all inserted by the translators. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with, all, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ, to himself according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he has purposed in himself, that in the dispensation, Of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession, to the praise of His glory. That's quite a sentence. That's like a paragraph and a half there, but I'm told it's all equals out to to one sentence. Now he, we're mostly looking at the blessed and chosen part of this, but let's, I want you to. I'm just going to kind of go through here and review this. And I wrote this in your outline so that you had it. I want you to see all these particular things in here. In verse 3, he says, "...who has blessed us." In verse 4, he chose us. In verse 5, having predestined us. In verse 6, he has made us accepted. In verse 7, in him we have redemption. In verse 8, which he made to abound toward us. Verse 9, having made known to us the mystery of his will. Verse 11, in him also we have obtained an inheritance... Again in verse 11, being predestined. And then in verse 13, you were sealed. You see, all those things are past tense. Are they works or are they grace? It has to be grace because it's already done. If it's already done, then it can't be anything I have to earn. Or do something in order. There's no if-then involved with this. These are all things that have been done for us. Glory to God. So they are grace things. And if I understand that they are by grace and not by works, then it changes my understanding on some things and I can walk in more peace. So let's go back over some of these. In verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with some spiritual blessings in heavenly places. All. All. Now, we got to take a look at this verse here for just a little bit. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing. Which ones are left out? <laughs> this is none. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. It's a grace thing, right? Is there anything I have to do? Is there any, anything I have, if, if I do this, if I believe this, is there any of that going on? The only thing that's involved in me finding out about it. That's it. I have to dig into his word to find out what these spiritual blessings are. But these spiritual blessings, every spiritual blessing right now is waiting for me. Is waiting for you. Every spiritual blessing. Now, if we read this real fast, we'll we'll look at this and say, oh, well, this is all so good. Every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. And we'll sit back there and say, "Well, I just can't wait till I get to heaven. <laughs> when I get to heaven, and then I get to enjoy all those spiritual blessings. Because what good are those spiritual blessings for me now? I'm not in heaven. I'm where? I'm on the earth. But it says He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing where? In the heavenly places. Well, what good is that? <laughs> what good is it to have the spiritual blessing in the heavenly places? It's real simple to find that out. When we went through the rest of that, that, uh, the scripture, one of the things, one of the phrases that Paul brings out, and understand this is all one sentence, is before the foundation of the earth. Before the foundation of the earth. Of the earth, and what Paul is telling us is that he has done all these things before the earth was even founded. If the earth is not founded, where would you put them? If there's no earth for the for the spiritual blessings, where would you put them? You've got to put them where, where something is, which is heaven. So he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places because there was no earth and there was no us. His purpose in putting them in heaven was not for us to get them when we got there, but to have them ready for when we came here. (laughs) Do you see that? Because what good are spiritual blessings? What good is it for Paul to teach the Ephesians about how we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing if they can't take advantage of it? And that's why he went on with all that. All this is done before the foundations of the earth. He predestined us. These things were done before the foundations of the earth. Before the earth was even here, God knew about us. Knew we were coming. And he made provision for us. With every spiritual blessing. And he, he tucked them away up in heaven. He said, they're not here yet. But they're going to be here. Here's the best thing you can do for that. As a parent, your kids grow up. And they're, you know, they're getting the age and married, haven't gotten married yet, but you figure, you know what, they're going to get married pretty soon. I'm going to start putting something away and have a college fund so that when their kids grow up, I'll be able to help out with that. Are the kids here yet? No, but you're expecting them, right? And so you put something away so that when they are needing it, you have something ready. Right? You can't put it in that child's bank account, can you? because they don't have one. Cuz you can't make a bank account for someone who doesn't exist. They're not here. So God put these things out there for us, but he stored them up in heaven. Put them up in heaven. Blessed we go over to verse, yeah, there it is. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing who has blessed us If we're never to take advantage of these things until heaven, why has it already been done? Why has He blessed us with all spiritual blessing in heavenly places? The heavenly places are simply because a place had to be put, built for these spiritual blessings while we were not here. And Paul wrote this at a time that you and I didn't exist. But you know what? The spiritual blessings were still there. And God put enough spiritual blessings away... For everyone, he had plenty. He could send them all to college or whatever it was he, so to speak. <laughs> Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Now, we look over this, and it's really easy for us to just go right on past this. All right, well, you know, I got, I got spiritual blessings now. Glory to God. I got spiritual blessings. You know, I really need some physical ones, but I, glory to God, I got some, some spiritual blessings. So we're happy about that. You know, we're going out there and we, glory to God. Praise God. I got spiritual blessings. But inside I'm saying, I need physical. I need money. I need help. I need a car. I need a house. I need a job. (laughs) We got a lot of physical things that we need. And we look at this and we say, every spiritual blessing. Oh, that's so good. And then we go on. Because we have not discerned what that means. We've got to understand, what does it mean that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing? How does that affect my life now? I mean, what is a spiritual blessing? Oh, you know, I know what, that is. I know what the physical ones are. But I don't know if I know so much of what a spiritual blessing is. So I don't raise your hand on this, but if I were to poll you and I say, tell me a spiritual blessing. How many of you could name something? We <laughs> hey, could probably dig out there and name a couple of them things, but we we would struggle a little bit to come up with some stuff, right? So how can we get excited about a verse that says we've been blessed with something we really don't know what it is? You know, if somebody came up to you and said, I'm going to give you a Gergishmung. I don't know if that's good or bad. <laughs> if I want one of those. can I eat it? <laughs> I don't know if I want that or not. Maybe if I take it, I'm in worse shape than I'm Because we don't know. <laughs> I don't know. what What is that thing? What do I do with it? I don't know. Not real sure. So we smile and thank you very much. I appreciate that, I think. But we just don't know. we got to know what these things are. It's hard for us to get excited about a verse of Scripture when we read it. Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. I mean, the word every. We always get excited about every, right? But I don't know what every is. What is What is this? Who has blessed us? Well, it must be good because he's blessed us. So it must be good, so I want it. (laughs) If God said he's blessed us, it has to be good. And if God says it's good, I want it. But I don't know what it is yet. God, if you say, I'll take it. But I'm just not real sure. Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He's put these, heavenly, these, uh, these blessings in the heavenly place. They're there. They're waiting for us. We can get them. He's blessed us with it. But what effect does that have on my life? What possible effect do spiritual blessings have for me? If I'm going to get excited about this verse, about what Paul wants to teach here, I kind of have to know what some spiritual blessings are. So he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Now, many of these blessings are taught in this epistle. And as we go through, we'll begin to flag some of these things. This is a spiritual blessing. Especially here in the first three chapters, we're going to see some spiritual blessings come out, and then we're going to see how that affects us in our life. But without understanding, these blessings do us no good. I've got to have understanding what they are, and what effect did they have? Now, we already told you this because uh, b- there was no earth, so where else would you put them? But um, one of the things uh, Pastor Bob used to t- tell us too was all physical blessings, Something it was something, this is not a direct quote, this is just kind of from memory, but it was something along these lines, all physical blessings have their root in spiritual blessings. All physical blessings have their root in spiritual blessings. Might get a little more excited about spiritual blessings if that's actually true, huh? What, physical blessings have the root in spiritual blessings? Well, this might be all right. Maybe we could uh, go and find out what these things are. Hmm. He has blessed us. Let's go back to the beginning. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's blessing God. Blessed be God. Who has blessed us? With every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. If it indeed it is true that every, that physical blessings have their root in spiritual blessings. And we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. Then we have the roots for every physical blessing we already need, don't we? We just got to figure out what these spiritual blessings are. And how it is that they can affect us. How it is that they can help us. What it is that we need to to do with them. Verse 4. Just as He chose us in Him. Past tense. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. Just as He chose us Who's the us? Who do you write the letter to? Saints and faithful. The letter is to the saints and faithful. That means, folks, the chosen are not the faithful. Right? The chosen would be the saints. Because the saints was everyone, the faithful was a group in the saints. He says, just as he chose us, the us would be Paul and those he's writing to, right? Wouldn't it be everybody that he's writing to? He doesn't qualify this us to say me and a a few of you all. He says us. So everybody reading this book that's counted in the group that he wrote it to, who do you write it to? The saints and the faithful. So don't think that if you become faithful, you then become chosen. Now look at this. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. Did we get chosen by grace or by works? By grace. Grace. So therefore, saints or faithful would make no difference. Because what distinguishes between the saints and the faithful is works. And beside this is past tense. He chose you before you were even born. We have an example of that in the Word of God. When the twins were born, Esau came out, and who else? Jacob. The heel catcher is the heel catcher. And God said before they were formed in the womb I chose one of them. I chose one of them. Because He knew what was going to be going on about it. He knew He knew things about them. But just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. That we should be. Are we going to be that way? It should be, but it's not a certain, is it? No, we should be, but it doesn't mean you're going to get there. Just as we should be, just as He chose us in Him. Now, Brother Hagin used to always tell us, whenever you see that word, in Him, in whom, and all that sort of stuff, that's positional truth. That stuff is by grace. Just as He chose us in Him, before the foundation of the world. So, if it's before the foundation of the world, it's certainly before you were born. So there's nothing that you did. But then we have these folks that get on out there and they begin to teach that certain people are chosen to be in the family and certain ones are not. Right? Certain ones, these, these ones are, these ones are not. These ones are written in the book of, of life and these ones are not written in the book of life. But we also learn from the Word of God that there's something that we need to do to get written in the book of life or to be blotted out. We don't really have a scripture that tells us that people's names are written into the book of life because of an event in their life. All that we have is that people are blotted out of the book of life. Which lends us to some supposition that perhaps the book of life contains the, everyone. Perhaps. It's supposition. We don't know exactly. But perhaps everyone is written in the book of life. And if you don't come to a place of the knowledge of Jesus Christ before you die, we just cross you right on out. But that would mean that you were in there. Well, that certainly could be because it seems from the Old Testament, from David's teaching, or David's uh, thing about the, the baby, that the baby died. Well, that baby died before that baby could make a decision for Christ. <laughs> right? And he said, I will go to be with him. But he will not come to be with me. Well, it made it into Scripture. Do 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 children become born again without accepting Jesus Christ automatically? Well, that's where the whole doctrine of the age of accountability came up. That at, at certain one point, at a certain point, a child decides to not believe in Jesus and not go that way. It might be different for each child. Maybe, you know, for one, at six. Maybe for another one, at seven. Maybe for another, it's five. I don't know. There's going to be different. I'm not trying to put numbers on it. But at some point, that child actively comes into a knowledge that they walk in disobedience of, of God. And at that point, they're going to make a decision. But up until then, it seems like, it seems like, that if they died that they would just go on to be in heaven because they never made a decision to reject Christ so that's where that idea and that doctrine comes up it's supposition anyone who wants to get a hang up on it you have a real easy out with them just simply say well you're not a child anymore so it makes no difference about that doctrine for you you better get yourself right (laughs) you already know enough just by bringing up this question See, so they're just trying to distract the issue. Just get them back on the right the right thing. They say, you don't worry about that. That's management's decision. That's not ours. You let management take care of that. You just get yourself right. Obviously, you are past that age. So what are you going to do about you? <laughs> That's all you got to do. You just straighten that one on out, and they probably won't ask you that question any, uh, anymore. But, you know, they always want to throw out these, uh, these situations, you know, what happens to this one, and what happens to that one, and, and what happens here, and, and just, 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 what happens to you? If you die right now, what's gonna to happen to you? Cause that's the one you better figure out. I know what happens to me if I die right now. But you? I'm not so sure about you. Don't sound like you are either. You better get it fixed. <laughs> so does God choose which ones are there before the foundation of the earth? Well, he says he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Well, he chose us. Now, is Paul excluding anyone in this statement? He's just saying, you know, for all of us, we're all chosen. It didn't mean that no one else was chosen. He's just talking to those people there that are chosen. But, you know, people will run off with this thing. Well, if, if, if God chose certain ones to be born again, then it's really no sense in us going out there evangelizing anyone because, you know, we don't know which ones are chosen and which ones are not. Well, then you better go after and get all of them like they're all chosen because you don't know. Well, that would just be kind of silly. Now, again, if that's what he's teaching us here, then somewhere we have to have seen it, it acted. Have we ever seen Jesus, or Paul, or Peter, or John, or Elijah, or Jeremiah, or uh, who else can we get out there? Any of, those, any of those folks going out there, and have they ever run into it? Wait a minute, I can't preach to you. You're not chosen. I'm just wasting my words talking to you. I don't need to do it. He didn't do that, did he? Jesus didn't do it. Paul didn't do it. Well, if these guys didn't do it, then we better not be found doing it. That's not what he's trying to get across to us here. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Well, the way for salvation, Jesus died for all, but not all would accept it. But there was plenty of Jesus to go around. There are not too many people born on this earth that Jesus cannot redeem. He paid the price for all of them. Now, how many accept it? We'll see. But he paid the price for them all. Now, we've given you this example of of things before, but it's just simply that God is able to interact with all periods of time at once. Now, here's the problem that just blows us out out of our mind when you begin to think about this. Because... Time is a course of events. What was it, Einstein, who said that time is simply so that everything doesn't happen at one time, or all all at once, (laughs) something along those lines. (laughs) Time is merely to keep everything from happening all at one time, or all at once. Well, for, for if if an event happens, how many of you can look at your own life and you can think of turning points in your life? If I had not have done this. I would have gone in this direction. And if I took that direction here, then my life would have been different. And I would have impacted another group of people differently. And I would not have impacted some other people that were over here. Would that not have an effect on the events that happened? Oh, it does. this is always part of the science fiction stories that are out there. You know, time travelers because if they tra- travel in time, you, you, you you'll mess up the course of events. How many remember that, that uh oh that was a fun one. That was uh Back to the Future. Back to the Future. Yeah. You know, and they get on back there and well they changed up the, the thing and now all of a sudden his mom and dad were gonna to get together and he began yeah. to disappear in the picture. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, it was just cute the way it was. But it was an, an idea that if you don't if if a certain amount of actions don't happen, it, it changes what happens in the future. And so this is where people get off on this thing, is that how can God know what's going to happen in the year 2000 when in the the year 1900, if this would have happened, then we never would have gotten here. This never would have gone on. So how could He know? Because God is involved with all periods of time. And though it would blow our mind to even possibly conceive of not only knowing all the events that happened, but to be in touch with all the events that might have happened. Because if you don't go this direction, then then this will happen. And this is exactly why Scripture is written this way, where you have one area of prophecy, such as the book of Ezekiel, which is laying out exactly this is what's going to happen to you. And other ones where God says, if you do this, then this will happen. But if you don't, then this is going to happen. Well, if he already knows the future, why doesn't he just say one thing? Because he, he knows there's a choice. But you see, he know, he can be in touch because he's God. and infinite number of possibilities every day could go on. And God is in touch. As soon as the timeline begins to go by that part where he's in touch with and the events already happen, he already knows how it's affected the future and every aspect of the future. He already knows it. He doesn't cause it to happen. But he knows how it's going to come about. Because he's in touch with all of it at the same time. You know, we we got fascinated with TVs that are (laughs) picture-in-picture. Because you could watch two things at the same time. This is fascinating. But imagine God. Picture-in-picture, he's laughing. (laughs) That is small-time stuff right there. I am in touch With every event, in every period of time, in every country, in every nation, in every family, in every individual. I can see when you make this decision that it will have this effect all the way over in here. And it doesn't blow his mind. Because not only can he do all this, he can still count the hairs on your head. (laughs) Because this is not even challenging, God, to watch all these screens going on, to be in touch with all this stuff. He's over there counting hairs, counting stars, numbering the sand on the sea. Boy, we think that Sesame Street character, the Count, had an obsession. God seems to count everything. He knew exactly how many of us there would be. He had us down to the wire, down to the name. That's how awesome our God is. And the people who want to say, well, God chose some and He didn't choose others, don't understand how great our God is. Don't understand how awesome our God is. Our God is so awesome, so incredible, that you can make ten different decisions, all of which would affect the outcome of your life. And He can follow it each time you change your mind from before the foundation of the earth. What an awesome God. Absolutely awesome. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. Because we walk in love. You walk in love, folks, you're without blame. Don't get hung up on the fact that well, some people are chosen and some people are not. Don't ever limit God. That should never even be a question. We are not God. Our minds are not capable of anything near what God is capable of. The most massive computer we can make, the greatest space shuttle, rocket, telescope, mission that we can do. God's up there like a parent with a little kid. Oh, that's nice. Isn't that cute? Look at the picture you made. Oh look at what you made over there. Oh that's a nice airplane. That's a real nice airplane. Boy, you really put your all into that. <laughs> and we think it's so awesome. And God's saying, that eh, nice. <laughs> that's, that's just special. I'm gonna put this over here in the refrigerator. <laughs> oh folks. We we we're getting mesmerized because we can make it to the moon. God says, "All I gotta do is think about it, and I get from heaven to earth. Send an angel down there that fast. God's not impressed. He thinks it's cute, I'm sure, but he's not impressed. Don't put God into a box. Don't ever do that. Understand this: You had the free choice. No one coerced you to sit to, to serve God. No one forced you to do it. You did it on your own then just as easily you could decide not to follow him and go out in your own direction. Just as easily. No one's stopping him. And no one's stopping anyone else. Every single person on the face of this earth has the opportunity to be among the chosen. And every single one of them has the opportunity to not be. They all want to find an excuse why it's not their fault. But it is their fault. Just as he chose us in him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. Much more to get into just in this section of Scripture that He did in one sentence, but we're going to leave off on that one. Father, we thank You for the help that You give us. You have selected us, chosen us, because of all the things You knew. You said, all right, I know this one's going to stick with it. This one's going to follow. And you said, you know what, I've got some plans. I'm going to put you here and do this with you here. And there are some things that you should be, some things you should become. The chosen part I did, but the rest of it you've got to do. Father, there are some things that are by grace and there are some things that are by works. Help us to know the difference between the two. That we always walk in the grace of God. Where grace is called for. But we never substitute grace when works are needed. When faith and obedience are needed. It's not time to fall on the grace of God. I thank you for the help that you give us to discern each of these times. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. At the end of your uh, outline there we have a few other things I think to fill in. This is uh, dealing with the part of the spiritual blessing. First off, worry is future-oriented. It is hard for you to engage in any kind of worry that does not have to do something with the future. Worry is future-oriented. Guilt is oriented in the past. Worry and guilt. These are things that give people a whole lot of trouble. Guilt is oriented in the past. Worry is is future-oriented. Our understanding of spiritual blessings puts natural issues like these to rest. People who are walking around with guilt, people who are walking around with worry, are folks who do not understand the spiritual blessings that are there for them. And they don't understand grace. And they don't understand works. But when we do, the result is peace. Peace. Oh, that's where God wants us to be. Resting in the peace of God. Glory be to God.